Hello again. There's a bit of movement here. So, on Monday night, last Monday night, um, as part of uh, my daughter Neve's birthday, she and I went to Manchester to the Palace Theatre and we watched Miss Saigon. Has anyone seen it? Yeah, always a big fan at the back. It, okay, it's really good. It's not my, my favorite musical, but it is really, really good. Um, and I'm quite a fan of musicals, um, and you know, I've been to see quite a few of them, and, uh, and Neve is, is joining me in that. And so um, we've chalked off a few musicals along the way. But something happens to me whenever I'm at a music, nearly every musical I go to, even though I love them, at some point, the same thing will happen to me invariably. At some point, in the midst of a, a brilliant song, I will go, it's a bit weird that someone's just burst into song in the middle of a conversation. The reality bubble bursts for a second, and I go, it is a bit odd that someone is talking, and then all of a sudden they go, the la! Ouch. And of course, that is the, uh, the, the, the essence of kind of musicals, and you're worried that at some point, and Neve is one of these people, warning may spontaneously break into song. You think that could happen in real life? You think it's just based in musicals? Well, this is what exactly what happens in Philippians chapter 2, uh, a bit that Lisa looked at last week and that we are basing on, uh, jumping on from uh, today. This song that Paul bursts into. He's talking about different things, about you know, having, being, uh, thinking of others and everything like that. Then all of a sudden, he just breaks into a song. I bet he didn't think about that. And you can see it in your Bible because it's written as verse. He breaks into this song. It's probably an ancient, um, very, very early Christian hymn. And he just sings this. In the letter, so when you're reading it, they can hear that song. Do you know those earworms you get when you get a song in your, in your head and it goes round and round and round? you remember them? But you can imagine that they see these lyrics and they can hear the song that's being sung whenever they read this. This is the song of Jesus. That being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. We know that really well. It's an amazing song. Paul bursts into it. Now this really early Christian hymn it's been explored for its deep theological meaning. And it is absolutely dripping with theology and insight. But that's not what Paul's using it for. Paul's using it within a context of speaking to the church about what? About how to live together well. About how to live this worthy life well. And so the key word in this entire passage is this one, therefore. Now, if you are a veteran of many Bible study groups over the years, you will know the old adage, when you see a therefore, you've got to ask, what's it? Oh boy, you can see the scars on people. <laughs> what's it there for? It's therefore because it tells you there's a, there's a context to this. It means you've heard this song so because of, in the context of, as a consequence of, therefore, dot, dot, dot. Therefore. And we hear these words. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not just when I'm there, but also when I'm not, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Essentially, Paul is saying this word, 
this phrase, work it out. Work it out. Work out your salvation. Now, important warning here. This is not work for your salvation. This is not about you earning your stripes and God saying, yeah, you'll do. This is about working out what it means. Okay, salvation is maybe not the best word. Let's change that to freedom. What does being free in Christ look like in your context? What does it look like in your situation? You've got to work it out. Now, I know I'm surrounded by some people who are more qualified in teaching maths <laughs> than I am. But we're going to look at Paul's equation. It's not a real equation, okay, Andy? Just thought it, I know you're trying to work it out. This is Paul's equation, because you know the way in exams you're told to show you're working out. I'm not going to show you Paul's equation. It's what I've actually titled um, this passage. So X equals app over appa. No? Okay, let's go for this first one. Okay, the first thing is application over apathy. Paul's saying you've got to work it out in practice rather than just sit back and letting your faith happen to you. You've got to do something about it and not just let everything around you carry on nicely. You've got to work your salvation out. You've got to work out what it means to have freedom in Jesus. Because, and I know this because I'm, you know, um, a good Protestant from Belfast and Paisley land, we are often told about the fact we are saved from sin. I learned that very, very clearly. But what we, we don't talk about enough is that we're saved to a life worth living. It's not just saved from the gates of hell, but it's saved to a life worth living in Jesus. We're saved to a life worth living. We're saved to something. And that something is living the Jesus song. But Paul says you've got to work it out for yourselves. He says, you've done it when I'm with you, and now you've got to kind of do it when I'm not with you. You need to do it. Now, my, uh, Jacob and Reuben are in the midst of studying for their GCSEs, as I know many, many young people are. And uh, I know that they're trying to learn all these formulas, like the one I've been giving you. There is a test at the end, by the way, just so I tell you. Um, but in maths, uh, my youngest son, Owen, loves maths. I could say that he would prefer maths over doing a computer game, but that would be a lie. But he really loves maths. And uh, he's actually quite good at it. And there was one time that he came home and he said that he, he'd done this maths test at school and he'd got every answer correct, but the teacher wasn't happy. And the teacher wasn't happy is because he'd done all the calculations in his head. And so the answers were right, but he didn't show his, his working out. And so the teacher knew that he got the answers right, but... From the evidence, it could be just that he guessed it, like a mathematical probability of guessing the right answer, or that he copied. It could have come from anywhere. He couldn't prove that he'd actually worked it out for himself. And Paul is saying, you need to work it out for yourself. Because it's easy to copy. It's easy to guess. It doesn't show any understandings. Any mistakes can't be seen. We need to take responsibility for the application of the song of Jesus into our own lives. You've seen these braces before, haven't you? Asking the question, what would Jesus do? They made a mint on these, I'm sure, of them, Christian festivals. But the thing is, I often think about myself and maybe others that we don't wear WWJD bracelets. We wear WIWD bracelets. What I would do. 
And so what we think is, well, Jesus was a jolly nice chap. He probably would have done what I would do. As opposed to asking, what would Jesus do? And the problem is, when we ask the what I would do question, it's because we don't know Jesus well enough to know what he would have done. So I'm sorry this question is still haunting us. Do you know him? How well do you know him? Are you basing your life on your knowledge of Jesus or thinking that he probably would do what I would do? We have to work out the song of Jesus in our context because it would be easy for Paul to say, right, when this happens, do this. When that happens, do that. Instead, he says, take the mindset of Jesus and apply it to your life. Because the aim of discipleship, which is what we've been called to do, remember, is that we develop self-feeders. Self-feeders, people who will look after the development of their own walk with Jesus and applying it to their life, not just sitting back and letting it happen. It's not just being reliant on Sunday mornings and Lisa and myself and whoever else teaching from the front. And it's more than just going along afterwards to a Wednesday evening small group and following it up with some brilliant questions that Catherine's written. It's more than that. It's about you taking responsibility to become a self-feeder, to feed on God's Word, and then to assimilate it into your life, apply it, and live it out. That's your responsibility, and that's what Paul's saying, the church's responsibility, whether he's with them or without them. Keep on working out your freedom in Jesus. I like this phrase, put the song of Jesus into practice, because our theology must impact our ethics. What we believe about God and Jesus must impact the way that we live. Otherwise, they're not our beliefs. They're what we sign up to for a club or a hobby. So our belief in Jesus, belief in what he does, should affect everything in our lives. How we spend our money, how we spend our time, what we do in our leisure pursuits, how we treat our family, how we treat others at the workplace, even when we're stressed and busy and under pressure. It should impact what websites we look at, what movies we watch, what songs we sing. It needs to impact absolutely everything. Otherwise, we're just singing along without integrating the song to our lives. And the important part, he says, do it with fear and trembling. So that sounds like we're going back to the old God of the Old Testament, ready to smite you once you step out of line. So do everything afraid. No, I think what Paul's saying is that you need to take this seriously. You need to take this seriously with fear and trembling because it is important. Your walk your personal walk with Jesus. We try to emphasize the fact that we are corporate, we walk with each other, but actually you are responsible for the um, applying of your walk with Jesus into your life. Do it with fear and trembling because it's important. It's important for a couple of reasons, one of which we'll look at a little bit later on, but one of the things is that as we seek to, to work out our freedom in Christ in our daily lives, God is at work in us, transforming us, it says, to his good purposes. He is at work in us as we seek to live a life like his. So what, what actually are we applying? When I'm talking about applying, I'm talking about the song of Jesus, what we've just heard or what we just had on the screen there, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God. Here's our next part of the equation. Are you ready? X equals ATT over APT. Oh, we cheat. <laughs> Attitude over aptitude. This is a kind of a dictum that Lisa and I have seen grow in its importance over the last number of years. 
It's one that we hold to extremely closely. Attitude over aptitude, because we have seen the importance of a person's attitude over what they can do. We've had, over the years, people genuinely turn up on their first day here at SBC, introduce themselves, and then give us their CV, Christian-wise, Christian service-wise, almost and subtly and not so subtly saying, you're extremely lucky to have me with you. You're very blessed because I can do this, I can do that, I can do the other thing, and when I do it, it will be brilliant. And we go, no. The reason? Your attitude stinks. I've had people come and say, um, I can play a few chords on the guitar if you need me, but I love Jesus. And we go, yes. Now, hear me right. I'm not talking about the fact we want to be slipshod and haphazard with what we do at the front. We want excellence with what we've got for the glory of God. But I'd rather have someone who couldn't hold a tune in a bucket, someone who was a little bit off key and a little bit out of kilter standing at the front and have the right attitude, doing it in the right heart like Jesus than the best professional standing at the front doing the absolutely best thing. Obviously, we want something more in the middle, attitude and aptitude. But it's about the attitude of service is more important. There's a great song. I'm not going to break into it. You can. 915 did it if you want to join in. Go on. Brilliant. Well done. That's going to sound great on the recording, by the way. (laughs) It ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. Reflecting the mindset of Jesus, the heart set of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus. And where do we get this in this passage that we've been looking at? This one. Do everything without arguing or grumbling. Does anyone else just feel a little bit uncomfortable when they read that? Do everything without, because we like a good moan, don't we? We're British. Well, some of us are. I think it's a thing about humanity, actually. We like a good, a good moan and a good grumble. You know? And sometimes it's, we need to vent off. I appreciate that. But actually, what about all the things like Room 101 or grumpy old men and grumpy old women or, or the, go show me age here, points of view. Do you remember? <laughs> Dissatisfied of oldham writes. We like a good moan, don't we? And Paul says, do everything in working out of your faith without grumbling or arguing. The Greek words are these, gogesmoi, which I think is a brilliant Greek word, and dialogizomai. It's about private murmurings. Have you heard? Do you know what? I just really don't think that's new. Private murmurings behind closed doors in small groups. Or open public arguments. And this is not about disagreeing. We, we want to encourage loving disagreement in this church. That's a good thing to do. But we're talking about public arguments with no intention to change your opinion because you are right and the other people are wrong. And you'll make sure everyone knows it as well. Both are lethal to the church. And both are out of tune with the song of Jesus. Both are lethal to the church. And both are out of tune with the song of Jesus. Because... Both of these things, the mumblings and the grumblings, the arguing and the grumps, they're about pursuing your own agenda, your own um, priorities, over and above the needs 
and thoughts and wishes and often feelings of another person. This is not about the fact we shouldn't disagree, we should, but it's about how we do it. It's about selfish ambition, it's about self, and it's about victory. Yes, I've won that. I've garnered those people to my point of view. Are you a grumbler? Are you a mumbler? Are you a complainer? Are you an arguer? I know that in this church, we have had that. I know we've had mumblings and grumblings and arguings. I know that because I've been part of it sometimes, to my shame. I know there's a slight safety net when you, when you can meet together. It's easy to vent off. And, and talk about things and mumble and grumble with no intention of sorting it out. I know that exists because I know you've got a pulse. It's an easy trap to fall into. I want to say this really clearly. Churches have been split over these things. Lives have been destroyed over these kind of mumblings and grumblings. All for very righteous reasons. People are scarred because of mumblings and grumblings. I want to tell you, if you have a mumble or a grumble about the leadership of this church, you come and speak to us. You come and speak to us. You don't gather around a bunch of people who are going to back up your ideas. You come and speak. Because that is a way of Christ. It's so damaging. Damaging to unity and togetherness. And it's likely to have been happening in Philippi at this time. We get that impression from the fact that Paul speaks about Iodia and Syntyche. Really, Barbara and Alice would be nicer names, wouldn't they? Iodia and Syntyche were possibly arguing over something. And Paul says, you know, sort it out. I suspect Philippi had mumblings and grumblings because, again, like us, it was made up of people. <laughs> and we all fall into that trap. Paul says, don't do it. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And if he had more paper and more ink, he probably would have burst into song again. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality God, dot, dot, dot. Here it is. It's not a mumble. It's not grumble. But it is absolutely. It's not mumble. It's not grumble, but it's humble. That doesn't mean you put things aside. It means that you humbly bring them out into the open. Not mumble, not grumble, but humble. Because you're not pursuing your own goal at sake of all other things. And if you do that, you will stick out like a sore thumb in what Paul calls a crooked and desperate generation. A crooked and depraved generation. Now you read that and you kind of think, yeah, but Paul, I get what you're saying. But the world's not that bad, is it really? It's quite nice. I know a few nice people. I think I might be one of them myself. Come on, it's not crooked and warped? Hmm. I'm going to read you a quote here. Matt, forgive me, it's about young people. The children now, they love luxury. They've got bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect to their elders. They no longer rise when an elderly person enters the room. They contradict and argue with their parents. They chatter before anybody else. Uh, and they gobble up food at the table. And, and, and they're tyrants over their teachers. That's not an Ofsted report, by the way. <laughs> that was written by Socrates in the 5th century BC. I'm going to say that it's not because it's about young people. You could sit there and go, oh, the young people. Oh, yes. They've always been a pain. Actually, no, humanity is a pain. 
This is not this crooked and, and depraved generation is our generation. The rich get richer, the poorer get poorer. Persecution is rife around this planet on unprecedented levels. Moral absolutes and right and wrong is now a matter for debate. We have growing division between people. We are more connected technologically, but yet isolation is endemic. We have an identity crisis throughout our world. Mental health is at an all-time low, and Nicky Gumbel put it really well when he said, we were meant to love people and use things, but we've become people who use things who love things and use people. We live in this warped, crooked, and depraved culture because we have done since someone ate an apple in a garden one day. Because this is not about the degradation of modern morals. This is about whole-scale human and personal rebellion against and the rejection of God. That's the crooked and wicked generation where self is more important than anything else. And you live a Jesus lifestyle, a worthy life, a selfless life, it doesn't fit. You stick out like a sore thumb. I forgot to do that. (laughs) You stick out like a sore thumb. Or, anyone going to go have this equation? And have a go? Okay. A blaze over assimilation. (laughs) Paul says you will shine like stars in the universe. If you live a Jesus lifestyle, you will stick out like a sore thumb. You will shine like stars of the universe. They're hard to miss, our stars. They're kind of pretty, aren't they? Stars, when you look out in the night sky. We don't see all the stars there are. We see stars that, are, that, that get through the light pollution. Has anyone ever been to a dark sky park? Yeah? Well, a number of years ago, um, Helen and I, we went on our kind of delayed honeymoon to, um, to South Africa. And we went on one of the safaris in the Kruger National Park. And we went out on one of these big Jeeps, you know, dressed in all khaki and thinking we're going to be adventurers. And we're driving through and we're seeing brilliant things. They put the spotlights and there was a, there was a lion. And over there, there was a, a, a leopard. And over there was something else. And it was fantastic. Then he pulled up and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. He said, don't worry, there aren't any animals nearby. <laughs> he said, I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to turn the lights off in the van or in the Jeep. And we went, all right then. So we closed our eyes. He turned the lights off. And he said, open them when I tell you. So we opened our eyes when he told us. And I don't know whether it was real or imagined, but I can distinctly remember the fact that the stars were so bright, I could swear they were casting shadows. I've seen more stars that night than I think I've ever seen put together. Because the darker it gets, the brighter even the pinprick of light seems. The darker this world is, the brighter even your little light can shine. You are stars in the universe that's gone crooked and warped if you live the Jesus song in your life. Why? Because light, it dispels darkness. It dispels the darkness. It shows what's really there. That monster in the corner of the bedroom is actually a pile of clothes once the light switches on. 
that room which is spotlessly clean when the sun shines through is absolutely covered in dust that's only seen when the light shines on it. And then, and particularly in the first century when they didn't have electric lights, so everything would have been darker at nighttime, they also used the stars for navigation to find their way. The reason, I said earlier, why we need to take this seriously, why we need to work out our salvation, our freedom in Christ in our daily lives and live that Jesus song is because our world needs it to be. And the reason that, that living a different lifestyle, the reason what, when we're, we are ablaze, the reason it stands out is not because we're nice people being jolly nice and encouraging other people to be really nice too. There's something more. And what it is, is that we, as he says, are holding out and holding on to the word of life. It's something more than just being nice people. We're holding out something. We were amazed out on the streets when all we were doing giving little gifts away and offering a little prayer with people, how hungry people were to be told that there is life, that we are holding it out for them. This world needs it. That's why the question we're going to be looking at this Wednesday at Alpha, is there more to life than this? It was brought home to me during the week. Um, Jacob's here. He's a big fan of um, dance music. I'm not talking about waltz and foxtrot. I'm talking about techno music. And uh, if you know about that, um, that world, this guy is a guy called Avicii. You'll recognize some of his songs from the radio. Really big star. He was found dead in his hotel room in Oman. And it's later transpired that more than likely he took his own life. Now, this young man from Sweden, his name is Tim. His parents have released a statement. And they said, this, our beloved Tim, he had everything. He had um, vast money. He was incredibly successful. Creatively, he was doing everything he wanted to do. Relationally, he had a beautiful girlfriend. Everything was going right for him. But they said, our dear Tim has always struggled with meaning in life. And eventually, it was too much for him. I know that that is a truth and a reality that many of us know in our personal lives, that we've maybe lost someone or someone struggling with these same things. Let me say it's endemic around the world that people are struggling for meaning and we hold out the word of life. I'm not being glib about this. I believe this. I hope you do too. Not Jesus is the answer to everyone's problems. But yes, Jesus is the answer. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. But what do we often do? We're a little bit scared of being different, so we put a bucket on top of the light. Because we're scared to be a bit different. Work out what it means to be free because the world needs you to. So, are you ready to learn your equation? Enthusiasm. Okay. App over APA. What was it? Close. Application over apathy. The next one? Attitude over aptitude. Brilliant. And the last one? A blaze over assimilation. I'm really impressed. Thank you. I couldn't remember them. Um, but that's not where it ends, Paul and his equation. It leads somewhere. It leads to apple over ach. Everyone's going, what is he on? Ever so close, but no. <laughs> Applause over achievement. Applause 
over achievement. You're saying, where are you going with this, Phil? Where did you get that? This is Paul's equation. Application. You put it into your life. You have the right attitude. You will stick out like a sore thumb. You'll make a difference. And then I can boast about you at the end of time. I can say, look at them go. I did that. Or I was involved in that. Boasting. You're not meant to do it as Christians, are you? But here's Paul saying, I'm going to boast about you. Maybe you recognize this stage of life, either from your own children's lives, maybe you even have a good memory, you remember doing it yourself, um, or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, a child taking their first step and a parent goes, brilliant, well done, hooray, clap, clap, clap. A child doing something which you do every single day and actually have a monitor which tells you if you've done 10,000 of them, Steve. And yet we go head over heels, well done, little man, you took one step and you didn't fall down, brilliant. Why do we get like that? Because this child is doing something independent on their own. They're developing their own capabilities of standing, of walking, and discovering and living for themselves. It's an exciting time. It's like, a, it's like the teacher who celebrates the student's achievement because they've been involved in helping them get there. It's an exciting thing. It's worth it. It's kind of going, look at them go. Look at them. Because Paul's aim is that people can do it for themselves. Apply for themselves the song of Jesus. Be self-feeders. Be outward influencers. Be a light with or without Him. And this is the heartbeat of what we want for this church, Lisa and I. This is the heartbeat of discipleship, that people can walk on their own. Be self-feeders. Be an influence in the outside. And therefore, bring glory to God. Because Paul says, you'll make it worthwhile, all the hard work. It won't be in vain because you'll have gone on and done this. Rejoice and celebrate. And then he talks about a couple of waggles. Does anyone know what a waggle is? I'm surprised. Partly because I've done this before at church. <laughs> a waggle is something which um, often primary schools have, a, a waggle board. And waggle stands for what a good one looks like. So you do a piece of work. Um, maybe looking at different tenses or whatever, and a child does a brilliant example, and then it's put on the wall for everyone to see. This is a waggle. This is what a good one looks like. And Paul speaks about two waggles at the end of this chapter. He talks about Timothy, and he talks about Epaphroditus. They were great on names, weren't they? <laughs> he says, here are two waggles. Here are two examples of guys who have lived the song of Jesus. Timothy, if you know from 1 Timothy and a few other places, he wasn't the most impressive of people. He was relatively weak at times. He needed constant encouragement. He wasn't the model kind of alpha male pioneer kind of thing you might see in some places. He wasn't that kind of person. Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to support Paul when he was in Rome. So Epaphroditus comes along, and then when he gets to Rome, he gets sick. Now, I'm pretty sure that he wasn't bringing Paul his cup of tea in the morning. I think he probably had his head in a bucket. <laughs> he didn't succeed in what he was asked to do. And what is his response? He's worried about what the church might be, that the church might be worried about him. His attitude is right. Timothy proved himself through service. He just poured himself out to serve Paul and the church in Philippi. Epaphroditus proved himself through almost sacrifice because he got so ill he almost died. 
And Paul's sending these guys back. And what's the message he's sending them? He's saying, honor these guys. Give them applause. Go on. Timothy has been brilliant. He's a brilliant help. Honor people like him. Epaphroditus, go on. Yeah, I know he messed up. He got sick. He couldn't help it. But my goodness, his heart is good. Applaud him. There's a, a developing culture, particularly in Christian um, in American Christianity, which is called an honor culture. And yet, sometimes it goes a little bit, a little bit extreme, which is about trying to honor people well. I was blown away a few weeks ago after the Do You Know Him phase one. I got a card, and I don't know if any of you were involved, if some of you were involved. I wasn't allowed to know who was involved. Um, I was given a card which said, thank you, Phil, for your leadership and hard work in doing Do You Know Him. And we want you to have a bit of time out. So go out for, go for two nights away with Helen and rest and recover. Lots of love, your friends. I was blown away by it. In no way did I walk around going, hey, hey, I'm such a dude. I felt totally humbled by it and greatly honored. Nothing to do with pride. So if you were involved, thank you. I've not had a chance to say it publicly. I felt incredibly humbled. I felt cheered on. Who are you cheering on and who is cheering you on? Who are you honoring and who's honoring you? We had that great thing at the AGM where we were able to give Bernard and Tony and um, Marilyn and Malcolm just small tokens for all the amazing work they did. It wasn't necessarily just you've done well. It's actually you've done it well. Honor. Speak well of. Even if they haven't achieved the purpose because their attitude has been correct. Here's a reminder of our equation. Application over apathy. Attitude over an aptitude or activity, a blaze over assimilation, which will lead to applause over achieving something, and well done you. And the applause may be from other people, it may be encouragement, but one day we will stand before one who says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I don't know about you, but I want that. And it's done by living the song of Jesus. Matt, can you bring the band up, please? I've been inspired um, recently by um, Malcolm Duncan, who, who writes nighttime blessings for people. And when I was finishing off writing this sermon, this, these few words came to mind, may you. And so I've, I've written this kind of blessing prayer over you. And the prayer team's on their way up as well. So please make use of the prayer team. If you want to pray about this, it's not that you may be in crisis, but you say, do you know, I want to sing the song of Jesus better in my life. Will you pray with me that I can do that? Don't just stand there or sit there and go, yeah, I'll, might. I'll think about it tomorrow. Go up and ask these fellow Christians, will you pray for me that I can do it better? But Matt and the band are just going to play in the background, and I'm going to pray this over you. Can I encourage you to stand, please, while I pray this over you, please?
May the song of Jesus be the soundtrack of your life, the overarching theme tune to your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. May you calculate the workings out of your freedom in Jesus in the day by day and live the life worthy of His name, His way, and His mind. May you learn how to stand and walk, feed and drink for yourselves in order that you may help others to do the same. May your life and attitude shine like a star in the dark night, bringing hope, direction, and challenge to the world gone awry. May you be the celebration of another saint's life and work as you seek to celebrate others. And so we pray, may the song of Jesus be the soundtrack of your life, the overarching theme tune to your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.